0: Welcome to the Reconcile Community Church podcast. We hope and pray that the resources that will be shared on here would be a blessing to you. If you want more information or to support our church financially as we do the work in the beautiful Queen City of Cincinnati, Ohio, you can find more information about that at www.reconcilesensi.org. Be blessed. Listen, I want to jump right into our text this morning because we got a lot to cover in a short amount of time. It is Pentecost Sunday. It is a celebration of sorts for us on today as a church. Most churches are celebrating today. Uh, Pentecost is a very important day. And at times we kind of gloss over it for some traditions. This is the this is their Super Bowl. They have two Super Bowls. They'll have uh, Resurrection Sunday. But then there's also some who would celebrate Pentecost. And I believe that for the Christian church, it should be a day that we celebrate when the Holy Spirit came down. Some people say this is when the church started. And in a lot of ways, it is a blessing for us. And so today, uh, we are continuing on in our sermon series called Empowered Living. And today, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter two, the entire chapter, I want to read the entire chapter to you, because I think that it's important for us to understand the context of some of the things that we're going to talk about, especially as we begin to start talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit and speaking it in tongues and all of this stuff. It's important for you and I to understand the whole context so you get a better understanding of what's happening. But at the end of the day, my hope and my prayer is that we would be encouraged to live boldly because of what the Holy Spirit has done. That the same invitation that was given to the early church in that upper room where the Holy Spirit came and dwelt on the inside of them and they were able to speak boldly and proclaim the magnificent works of God is the same invitation for you if you've put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, that you and I are invited to allow the Spirit to be able to lead and guide our lives in such a way that will bring glory and honor to him. Acts chapter two says this. It'll be on the screen uh, as I read. And of course, I'm sorry for the small words, but uh, again, it's a whole chapter and we're trying to complete all of it uh, on some sermon slides, but you can follow along. I'm reading out of the Christian standard version of the Bible. It says this in Acts chapter two, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues, and hear it now, they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Not different ones, but the same flame separated and rested on each of them. Just want to carry that out. We'll talk about it in a minute. Then there were all, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from, hear it now, every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking, hear it now, in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, and Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, in Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some brothers and sisters, always haters in the crowd, and said, they're drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and pay attention to my words, for they, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was supposed, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, and it will be, in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all the people, then the, then your sons will, your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams, I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy, I will display wonders in the heavens, and above, and signs on earth, below, blood and fire, and a cloud of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon of the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved fellow israelites listen to these words this jesus of nazareth was a man arrested to you by god with miracles wonders and signs that god did among you through him just as you yourselves know Though he was delivered up according to God's uh, predetermined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. If you ever needed a word of encouragement to I'm going to read it again. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me because he is he is my right. He's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest uh, in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your holy one to see decay. You have revealed the path of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God swore an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what has to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah, He has not abandoned in Hades and he has not abandoned in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised Jesus, uh, raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God has received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. They said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Hang in there, I'm almost finished. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to the meeting of the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to the, their number those who were being saved. The very word of God, amen. It's good to hear the entire of Acts chapter 2 read in your hearing, because you've probably heard bits and pieces of Acts chapter 2, but didn't know that it was Acts chapter 2. When you read it in this context, things start to become very, very clear. And there's some things about this text that will encourage you because of what is being shared. My hope in prayer today is that you will be encouraged uh, by the boldness that you see from the early church. Let's go before the Lord and let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity now to come to the word of God. Now I pray, Lord, that you would uh, give me the ability to preach clearly and articulately, that we would be able to hear what it is that you would have for us to know, say, and do. Lord, I pray that you would be the hero. I pray that people would be more enamored with you than my oratory skills. And so as to that end, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, our ears, and our minds so that we would know, say, and do what it is that you called for us on this day. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus name we pray and give thanks. Amen. And Amen. Kristen and I um, have been watching this show that's captivated us. It's a show uh, called Alone. Anybody ever heard of the show called Alone? Uh, I-, I figured those of Chocolate Hue probably have not heard about this particular show, but it is a very fascinating show called alone. Um, I I, I guarantee you if you start watching it, you will be hooked. Uh, The premise of this show is that there are these contestants, usually right around 10 people, and they are uh, given the opportunity to be dropped off in the Yukon of Alaska. And the whole premise of the show is that they get 100 days to try to survive. The last person standing gets a million dollars. This show is absolutely fascinating. All of these people who are dropped off in the Yukon in Alaska Places that we wouldn't go, where it's in the middle of literally nowhere. They're given 10 tools and they're dropped off. They get one phone and that phone only has one number in it. And that is to the producer to say, I'm out. They don't have nothing else, but their ingenuity and they have to survive for 100 days. It is a fascinating show. Now, one of the things that we we understand about the show, one of the things that Kristen and I that keeps pulling us into the show are the characters themselves. One of the things that you know about any survivalist show is that the people who are in these shows are different. They're different. They see life different. They move differently. They think differently. They talk differently. They are just different people. And as we keep watching this show, Kristen and I keep getting drawn more and more into the show. And we're drawn more and more to the characters, the people in this show, as they are living out this life. And the thing that is fascinating to us is this ability that they have to just be so radically different. They're just different. In a lot of ways, their lives are marked by boldness. They take steps that of faith that we would never do. There's a guy who was literally trying to kill this big animal. I don't even know what it was, but he did it with a hatchet. And it was like, what are you doing? And he said, I needed to eat. So I had to take radical steps. Or it's the guy who climbed a tree just to kill a rabbit, I mean a squirrel, with a, with a stone. It's just they live different lives. It's just crazy how they think and how they operate. If we were to walk by a survivalist, we would know fundamentally that it's something different about these people. And as I watch this show, and I'm being drawn in by the boldness of their lives, it began to get me thinking about our own lives, that in a lot of ways... Boldness is attractive to us. We we are fascinated by people who live lives of boldness, who take steps and risk uh, of faith, who just live lives radically different than everyone else. It's a level of boldness that we are attracted to. That's why some of the people that we follow the most, they are marked by this level of boldness. They take risks. They don't care. They live. They naturally operate from the sound of a different drumbeat. They are just different people. And as I thought about this, spiritually speaking, many of us want to be bold in our faith, in our lives. We always say it. But there's a tension that we face in trying to live out a bold life. Because if you want to live a bold life, it's going to mean that you're going to have to live radically different. You see, we live in this society where we are more concerned with comfort than risk. We're more risk averse than we actually think. We would much rather make decisions based off of comfort than actually standing out. We love to say that we love to stand out, but in a lot of ways, we are all really the same. Everyone is doing the same thing. Everybody's running the same businesses. Everybody's doing essentially the same stuff. Everybody is masquerading as bold. But we're not really walking in boldness the way that we see in the scriptures. And so we find ourselves in this reality that God has called us to live lives of radical boldness. But left to ourselves, we can't do it on our own because we're creatures of comfort. And so in Pops Acts chapter 2, and Acts chapter 2 gives us this fascinating story of this ragtag group of people who become, in essence, the start of the early church. It's the essence of where we find ourselves today, that we are all living testaments to the reality of this ragtag group of people who lived boldly for Christ. And I think what Is uh, What is interesting about this passage that is uh, an invitation for us is that we are all at the same uh, time being offered an opportunity, as I said earlier, to live a life of boldness for Christ, though. And here's the deal. You don't have to live boldly for Christ on your own strength, but that God has given us the person and work of the Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of us to empower us to live the life that God has called us to live. This is what's beautiful about Acts chapter 2, that, yes, they lived this bold and radical life. In fact, you're going to see this play out all throughout the chapter. And there's an invitation for us because there's this opportunity that that we have here where we see this read in the passage. We read Acts chapter 2, and we say to ourselves, that was them back then, but surely this can't be us now. But here is the invitation that if you've put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells on the inside of you, too. And that he is inside of you wanting to give you access to the very boldness necessary for you to live the life that God has called for you. But the question for us is, are we going to submit to the leaning of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can live the life of boldness? It's a text that we have to wrestle with today. Because the opportunity has been invited, uh, has been open to us. And we don't have to actually sit and try to fake it till we make it but we can live the life that God has called us to. And so as we look at the early church on Pentecost and the subsequent days afterwards, we learn what it looks like to live a life that's marked by boldness, and it's derived from the Holy Spirit. So throughout this chapter, the reason why I read 47 verses in your hearing is to set up this question that we will answer today. Why can a believer live boldly? Well, there are three things that we see in this text. Conveniently, in 47 verses, you can pick this up in three different passages. First, you can live boldly because God gives you what you need to get the job done. Secondly, he gives us the gospel that gives us the answers to the tough questions. And then thirdly, we can live boldly because our lives become testimonies of testimonies of God's grace to the world. I want to give you the the, the, uh, legend of sorts or the chapters before we jump into our text this morning. The first thing that we see and why we can live boldly is that God gives us what we need to get the job done. The text opens up in verses 1 through 13, and basically it gives us an account of the filling of the Holy Spirit. The text says in a lot of ways that they were sitting in this room. They were all together. We read in Acts chapter 1 two weeks ago how they were put there and they were waiting. And there was a promise that the Holy Spirit was going to come. The promise is now here in Acts chapter 2. The first 13 verses share with us this idea that the Holy Spirit comes down, and it's this beautiful picture that they look up and they see this flame that comes down, and then it separates, and then it just falls on their tongues, and then all of a sudden it says that they are filled with the Spirit, and then immediately they begin speaking in other languages. Now, if you're a Bible reader... And I know y'all at Reconcile Community Church and even you online, y'all Bible uh, at face value that y'all are Bible readers. Uh, There's something that should strike you as odd. In Matthew's gospel, when Jesus was baptized, it said that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus as a what? As a dove. But here in the book of Acts, it says that the Holy Spirit decides to come down and his presence is seen as fire, which begs the question, why fire? Why fire? Why is it that the Holy Spirit comes down as fire? Well, you got to remember, the text tells us that there are a bunch of people who would have been Jewish friendly. They would have grown up. They would have been Jewish. They would have understood the Old Testament or the Tanakh. They would have understood what the Old Testament talked about. And what we understand is that whenever you saw fire in reference to God, it was a reference to his presence with the people. It was his presence with the people. So, for example, in the Old Testament, you remember when they were uh, leaving uh, um, when they were leaving Egypt and they were walking through the desert, it said that God would be there was a pillar of smoke by day and what a pillar of fire by night to show them that he was with them, that he was guiding them. He was leading them. Then you have Moses, of course, before the incident takes place. Moses is walking. Remember, he's a he's a he's a he's a farmer now. He's a shepherd. He's walking. And and it says that he stumbles across this bush that's burning on fire, but it's not being consumed. And there's this moment where he's walking. He doesn't understand that the ground that he's walking on is holy ground. And what does God say? Stop. Take your sandals off because this is holy ground. He lets him know that he's present with him. In Isaiah, we'll be going in Isaiah next week, and one of the things that you'll see is that it talks about these creatures called the seraphim. They have six wings. They have two that cover their eyes, two that cover their feet, and two that keep them up in the air. But the thing that's crazy about seraphim is that they are in perpetual fire. Why? Because they are in the presence of God. Fire, in a lot of ways, when you see it here, reminds us That God is present with his people. That the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, he's not an idiot a force. He's he, he's not, you know, a thing, but he is, he is God, the third person of the Trinity, equal in essence, different in function, that he is going to be present with the people, not in a way that they were used to, because all of the examples that I just shared with you showed us fire that was going to be on the outside. So when they went, they saw the pillar of fire outside of them. God was present with them, but he was outside of them. They saw the burning it was outside of him we see the seraphim they're caught on fire but they're in his presence but now they're saying that the holy spirit is coming down and he's landing on their tongues to show them that he's going to be present with them but in a fresh new way instead of him being outside them he's going to be inside of them that he's going to be present with them and this is good news for us that we serve a god who is active and is present So what does it mean that the Holy Spirit now is indwelt upon them, that they are now filled with the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit doing while he's on the inside of these believers? And even for you and I, what is he doing? Well, his job is to sanctify the believer to conform you more and more into the image of the son, to protect you and to guarantee you. That's why we read Ephesians chapter one, to empower the believer and to give dispensations of himself to express in a way such as gifts to support the church. That this idea that you see when the fire comes down and it splits off, it's the same fire, it splits off and it lands on all of them. It's the same kind of idea and concept that you get in 1 Corinthians where it's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Where uh, where Paul tells them that it's the same Spirit, different gifts, but they're all coming from the same Spirit. Talking about the Holy Spirit. This is the way that the Holy Spirit works. But what I need you to get is that he's present. He's with you. That you are not going to navigate this stuff by yourself, but that God loved you so much that he sent the Spirit to be with you so that when you go through these things, there's someone present. But not only are they filled with the Holy Spirit, but the text tells us, again, that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you probably like, what that mean, Pastor? You just talked about that. I know. The rest of the book, there are going to be multiple moments where they're going to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean? Because they're filled with the Holy Spirit, but then again, they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm about to show you in a bunch of passages. What does this mean? Well, what we know to be true is that when you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, there is the initial feeling of the Holy Spirit. That's where the promise of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14 that I read in your hearing is true, that you are sealed. It's not like he oozes out of you at that moment. No, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning that you are, he is there, he is sanctifying you. But then there are subsequent feelings of the Holy Spirit for specific purposes. So what does this look like? Acts chapter 13 verse 52. You won't see these on the screen. I'm just going to roll these off real fast for you so that you can see what I'm getting at. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9 verse 17. So Ananias left and entered the house. Then he placed his hands on him, talking about Saul who was about to be converted to Peter. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road of Damascus, that's where he was, you were traveling, has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The next verses after that is that Paul would then leave, and then he would go and begin to proclaim the good news, and then he would be off into... uh, into the uh, the desert to be trained uh, by God. Luke chapter six, verse 67. Then the father Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did he do next? The text says, and he prophesied. Acts chapter four, verse eight. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what did he do? He said to the elders, rulers of the people and elders, he's began to preach to them. He's filled to be able to proclaim. Acts chapter 13, verse 9. Then Saul, also called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he stares straight at this sorcerer. And then he provides this opportunity where there's this showdown. And it's really not even a match at all. Where Paul then exercises this demon out of this person. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside of her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. What did she do after that? She sang a new song. Acts chapter four, when they had prayed, they, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They began to speak God's message with boldness. Acts chapter seven, but Stephen filled by the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven. He saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then what did he do right before he was stoned? He spoke. They were filled by the Holy Spirit to proclaim and to do something specifically. And here's the beautiful thing, that God gives them exactly what they need. He knew that they needed the Holy Spirit so that they can accomplish the work that he had for them. What was the work? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I need you to be a witness. Where? from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Look back at the text. Who was all present when they were beginning to proclaim? People from, as the text, the then known world. He filled them for a specific purpose. Purpose to declare the magnificent acts of God. It would be the boldness that they needed. God gave them exactly what they needed to get the job done. That's the point. It's not necessarily that they were speaking in tongues, although they were speaking in tongues. Glossaleia is the word for native languages. It's not your unknown language that people are trying to make this text say. That's not even the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that the Holy Spirit came and it dwelt among the believers and the church was able to accomplish the very mission that Jesus gave them before they left. He gave them everything they needed to get the job done. That's the point. They were given these gifts of tongues that was a gift from the Holy Spirit so that they can so that they can preach. God gave them everything they needed. If they would have rushed, as I said a couple weeks ago, they would have missed what was absolutely crucial for them to accomplish that which Jesus gave them to do. God is a God who loves you so much that he will give you a test and he'll equip you with everything you need to pass the test. The question for us is, will we accept the gift that he gives us to help us pass whatever it is that he wants us to do? That's the question. Many times we find ourselves in this perpetual state where we're going through the same test over and over and over again. And the reason why we keep going over and over and over again is because God is giving you what you need, but you ain't accepting it. You think you need something different. We get it twisted when we start thinking we need to do things our own way apart from the Lord many of y'all have seen men in black i know you have um again i'm, I'm gonna make a, an assumption that my my brothers and sisters of uh melanated perspective and persuasion have probably seen men in black and everyone else i know it's a it's a cult classic it's a funny movie um, but there's this scene in uh men in black where will's character uh is given this little be tiny gun um and uh the other guy i can't think of his name he gets this big massive gun and, and will is and like man this ain't enough like and they're like going out to apprehend this suspect that he just does not trust that this little gun that he got is enough and so uh the the alien begins running y'all know the scene you're running down the street and if will would have just shot the gun earlier he would have been able to get this guy because once he shot the gun after he had run out of options he finally pulled out this little gun and was like and shot it and we saw he flew back and there was this big old hole in the truck and here's the thing that's funny If he would have just trusted what was given to him, he would have got the job done earlier instead of destroying half of the city. And in a lot of ways, we find ourselves just like Will. God gives us, in a lot of ways, the best gift to equip us for the work that he has for us. And that is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And the text tells us a lot of ways that we quench him. Meaning that when he's trying to get us to move in such a way, to navigate in such a way, we decide to say, ah, I'm going to go this way instead. God gives you everything you need to get the job done. This is what's beautiful about Pentecost. That he promised them that the Holy Spirit would come and that they would be empowered. And you want to know the miracle? The Holy Spirit came. Don't miss it. Don't get bogged up into all of these nuances that people are trying to get you to understand about this text. Here is the beautiful thing about the text that God told them what he wanted them to do. And he gave them everything they needed through the person of the Holy Spirit. And the same question for us on today is, will we trust the gifts that God gives us? In the moment after you've prayed and prayed and prayed for God to move on your behalf, when God actually gives you the things necessary to actually walk in your purpose and call, will you trust that it's enough? (sighs) I hadn't even been clicking on this thing. But secondly, what we see is that the gospel gives us answers to the tough questions that we face. This is beautiful because the person and the work of the Holy Spirit it tells us in John chapter 16 that he will lead us to all truth. What's the best truth that you got? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Because look back at the text. They spin, they speaking in tongues. People are hearing about all of the good news about who God is and all these magnificent acts, right? And people are like wrestling with it. They like, man, I don't understand how this is happening. Because these just folk from Lincoln Heights, how they know all of these languages? Like they don't know all they out here speaking Chinese and, and, and Latin and they speak in Aramaic and all of this. It's, it's a crazy scene that's taking place. But people are hearing the message and it's messing with them. The spirit is doing something. And then there's the peanut gallery and a bunch. They just drunk. Don't, don't, don't mind them and what they doing. They, out, they just, they just hung over from last night. And there's a way that, they, that Peter responds that shows us the correct way to respond to adversity when we find ourselves. Because here's the reality. Not everybody's going to be excited about what God is doing in and through your life. But how we respond to them matters all, uh, makes all of the difference. Peter could have responded multiple different ways that you and I would have responded. But the way that Peter responds is by sharing the gospel. In a lot of ways, what he does is something that is countercultural to what we are uh, inclined to do. The the people were trying to get them to doubt the very opportunity and the calling that they had in their life in that moment. And here's how Peter responds. He responds by addressing the why behind the what. Y'all trying to play what y'all see, but here's why we doing what we do. You missed it. A lot of times when we are faced with adversity, when God is doing stuff in our life, when you're boldly. People are going to sneer. They're going to cheer. We don't know what he's doing. He's just being weird. And we will respond with, you know, maybe you weird or this and the other. But here's the thing that what we see. He responds by addressing the why behind the what. He says in a lot of ways, y'all think they, y'all think they drunk with wine. They ain't drunk with wine. He begins to tell them why this is happening, why they are acting the way they're acting why they're in this position where they find themselves in. And it's not by their own ingenuity or their own might. What he's saying is it's tethered to the good news of the gospel. We are here as a representation of what God has done through Jesus Christ. And you have an opportunity, although you may be, you still have an opportunity to be used by him as well. He shares the good news to address the deeper issues. It's not just sneers from a crowd. It's a heart issue. And the way he responds shows you how the Holy Spirit works. Like, this is how the Holy Spirit works. Remember, the Holy Spirit's job in a lot of ways is to alley-oop Jesus all the time. Like, there's this opportunity where he's always going to be pointing you back to Jesus. And even in your responses through adversity, and when people are questioning your call and questioning your purpose, he's not trying to get you to rely on trying to argue with them about your necessity and your goodness. No, he's trying to get you to understand that it's tethered to the good news of the gospel, that you are called to where you are that you can be salt and light so that you can lift him up. And so there's an opportunity for you. The Holy Spirit is going to work in you to try to get you to begin to share the good news of the gospel as a response to adversity. I know you don't like that, but this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And like I said, a lot of times we quench the Holy Spirit because we don't want to talk about the gospel moments in adversity. It's blood for blood in that moment. And what God is saying is, no, this is an opportunity. Let the Holy Spirit work. So, how does Peter respond? Peter shares the good news. And I love what he does because in these texts, in this text, it's a lot of passage. He talks a lot. But in, in essence, he's sharing the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ died in their place and for their sins. And here's three quick things that we see about what he does in the text that I want to run through it really quickly for you to encourage you uh, when you are faced with these things. Here's the first thing that he does. He shares the gospel contextually, contextually. Contextualization is this fancy word that basically means that you take complex information and you bring it and repackage it in such a way that those who you are speaking to will understand it. So in a lot of ways, when I was pastoring, while I'm pastoring in in our community in Lincoln Heights, I have to take a lot of what I learn about church planting, and I have to dip it in Lowry seasoning. And then I'm able to give it to the people that I serve. What do I mean? There's a lot of stuff that I learn and things that I do that if I just gave it to you straight, you probably wouldn't understand it. It probably wouldn't make sense. I'm not speaking your language. I have to meet you where you are so that you can understand it. So I contextualize it. This is what Peter did. They were Jewish. And people who would have been there because of the Pentecost, the 50 days would have been this opportunity for some of them would have been there because of uh, Passover. They just hung out for the next 50 days to celebrate the next feast that would have been the marking of the law being given at Mount Sinai, the Old Testament that we see. And so there would have been a lot of Jewish people or people who knew about the Old Testament would have known about the stories of the Old Testament. So Peter gets up and as they're jeering from a crowd, he begins to, to share with them from the scriptures, and he's talking about David. If he wasn't Jews, he wouldn't have talked about David. Jewish people understood David. David was their hero. In fact, they knew that the prophet who was going to come, the Messiah who was going to come, was going to come from the line of David. So what does Peter do? He spends an enormous, enormous amount of time setting them up to be able to understand that the reason we in this predicament right now is because y'all jacked up. Y'all jacked up and y'all killed the Messiah. But don't worry. He was raised from the dead. And he and we are a testament of this good news. He met them where they were. He shared the good news in such a way where he showed the whole story and he made sure they understood it in their own heart language, that they understood exactly where he was going from. He met them where they were. He addressed their questions. He was like, man, they ain't drunk as nine o'clock in the morning. But then not only that, he shared it fully. He didn't just share the good part of the good news that Jesus got up, but he shares about the bad stuff, too, that y'all killed him. And let me park here for a second. Because we are living in times where people are so absorbed with wanting to be liked by people. Where we want this idea of being people pleasers like this is on 10,000, especially within the church. We want to be relevant and we want to be trendy and Christians want to be cool. And so we're starting to dumb down the gospel message where we're not sharing the entire gospel. We're not sharing about sin and sharing about the reality that, man, we lived apart from him. We're not sharing about the reality that Jesus died for all of our sins, past, present and future. We're kind of skimming over this and we're not taking the due diligence to share. Share the whole gospel message that there are bad things that took place and that the reality that those who have not put their faith, hope and trust in Jesus Christ, they will live apart from him in hell. Like we got to share that part of the story, because if we leave that part out of the gospel, then you are telling and you are sharing a different gospel. And as Paul would say in Galatians, may it be anathema. We got to share the whole story. So that when we get to the good news of Jesus dying in our place and for our sins, and that we have an opportunity to have our lives radically shaped, that we can walk in our purpose and in our calling, that we can commune with the one who the moon and the stars in the sky, when we can get to that point by sharing the bad news first you got to share Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, that we were all dead in the trespasses of our sin according to our uh, flesh, that we once children of the followers of the air. But God, we get to verse 4, the but God clause that is so good that makes a shout, but God being rich in mercy, that was lavished upon us, that he sent Jesus Christ to die in our place of for our sins, that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. We get to that part and we can celebrate it, but we got to share the first three verses first, which means that we got to share where we once were. In the midst of his haters, he's telling this story. And he's prefacing this reality that, look, y'all were talking about this guy named David. David died. You're talking about this idea of everything that was taking place. Listen, he died. He was not the Messiah. And y'all killed him. And the text tells us that they got pierced to the heart. This is what I love about this text that we sometimes forget. Peter's preaching. Peter's preaching. And the reason why he started preaching was because there were haters in the crowd. But at this point, we don't hear about the haters in the crowd no more. All you hear about is that they got pierced to the heart and they asked, what must I do? (laughs) He opened an invitation. And the reason why Mark, I open this up this way is because he didn't write them off. Even to his haters, they could have respond in faith to the message. The ultimate redirect was to point them to Jesus who died for them and to give them a chance to respond, to repent and to believe as Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 tells us. The best defense for why you do what you do is to understand the gospel and to be able to share how that what you do and how you live is because of what Christ has done. So why is it that you would Quit a job and go walk in your purpose. It's because I understand fundamentally that, man, I've been loved deeply by God, that God loved me even when I was broken and jacked up and I didn't have my life together. But God loved me so much that he allowed me to hear the good news and that he's invited me into a relationship with him and that he's restored my hope. He's restored my purpose. He restored my dignity. He's given me the opportunity to be able to walk in the manner that's worthy of the call that he set before me. I'm here today as a testament of what God has done and you can have the same opportunity. To live for him. Why are you navigating life like this? Why are you taking all of these risks? Because God took a risk on me. It's an opportunity for us to respond in faith. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what the Holy Spirit is trying to call to your remembrance. When you find yourself in the midst of adversity. We got to tell the whole story and not be ashamed. When questions arise, we can redirect them to the one who gave us the awesome opportunity to live differently. That's why the text says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We got to tell the whole story. Man, I was listening to this podcast this week and it was funny because uh, it's this uh, couple who um, they're debt free and uh, they have this podcast where they interview people talking about, you know, just the debt free life and how they got to debt free to be de- become debt free. Well, they had this guy on this week and the whole conversation was centered around fake gurus. Y'all probably seen them on social media, especially if you're on social media, especially on Instagram. There are a bunch of financial fur- gurus like we're in a season in a life where everyone is a guru right now. Everybody is an expert. Everybody did everything right. And in this episode in this podcast, this guy was going through and he was kind of listing out how you can spot a fake guru. He was like, one of the things that's interesting in a lot of things, I'll, I'll just be extremely abbreviated because it was a hilarious episode, but it was very frightening as well because a lot of us have taken advice from false gurus. And one of the things that he said was that, man, sometimes people consider themselves gurus and they begin to share with you a story, but they don't tell you the entire story. And so they don't tell you how they actually got their success. They don't tell you that they may have had a, a rich uncle that loaned them $100,000 so that they can then invest the money that they're telling you that you can invest 50 dollars in to become rich but but they're not telling you the whole story or they're not telling you that the reason why they got wealthy is because they're doing some shady stuff on the side that it's literally illegal what they're doing they're not telling you the whole story and people are eating it up and the guy says this at the end he says the reason why i started my podcast and the reason why i started my youtube channel was to dispel the false notions and to tell the whole story Because people need to hear the whole story. People cannot find, he's like, people cannot make decisions about their life choices based off of snippets. They need the whole story. And that's good for us. Because in a lot of ways, what ends up happening is when God is moving in and through our lives, there's a tendency for us to kind of skirt out on the fact that God did it. That God moved in our life. That we're where we are today because God opened up the doors for us. We don't tell the whole story. And in a lot of ways, we can lead people astray. And so one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to try to redirect us whenever we find ourselves in adversity. To say, you know what? No, I'm going to tell the gospel. I'm going to share the good news. Why can I do what I do? Because God did something that was incredible. He opened an opportunity for me. But then third and finally, and I'm out of your hair, the, the third thing that we see, why can we live boldly? Because our lives become testimonies of God's grace to the world. Our lives become God's grace to the world. Now, I've already preached multiple sermons on Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. So hear me, I'm not about to go through this at all in, at length. I'm not going to do that. But here's the thing that I need you to hear, that this gives us a snapshot of the early church and how they function. They were committed to doing life together, growing in their faith together, and being set apart together. They were marked by radical generosity and mercy and holiness and maturing. And hear what the text said at the end. It said that they had favor with all people. Y'all want to know what the Greek word that translated, when, it, when it's talking about all in the Greek, you want to know what it looks like, what it sounds like, like what the definition is? All. All. All people not just the Christian circles, not just the holy huddles that they were in, but all people, meaning that people in their community saw them and they were like, I rock with them. They different, but I rock with them. They found favor with all people, not for fitting in, but standing out. They were different. They lived life differently and radically. And what was the thing that happened? People were drawn to them. Their lives were marked by this level of boldness. And people saw them living out their lives, being submitted to the Holy Spirit. And what was ending up happening was that as they were out in their communities, as they were out just doing life, people began to say, hey, 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 man, how I get in on this? That's essentially what it's saying towards the end when it says day by day, people were being added to it. It's this idea that as they were going, people were drawn to them. We think we should forego the bold living of Christ for Christ because we think people will think we're weird. But the opposite is true. I've been looking at research about this and the idea that the church is declining. And to some degree, that is true. The church is declining. In some spaces, but there is starting to see this idea that there are people who are still joining churches, but why they're joining churches is radically different than what we think this research is starting to show that that people who gravitate to a church come because the church they show interest in is grounded in solid beliefs that are distinct. Not this wishy-washy stuff where we, we just let the Bible, just the society and culture dictate what the Bible say. No, they are standing on what the scriptures say. They are distinct in their beliefs and that they live out what they believe and many seek the small and community focus. What is this saying? that the people who are actually submitting their lives to the Holy Spirit when they are actually saying I am going to allow the Spirit to lead and guide my life and I'm going to do this in community they're saying that that is what is drawing people to the church it ain't about fancy slogans it ain't about bumper stickers it ain't about smoke, uh, smoke machines it ain't about guitar solos it ain't about having a fancy building it ain't about having fancy slogans and advertising it literally is the aroma of a life that is being being submitted to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Spirit to lead and guide your life becomes a testimony. It becomes something that people are saying are being drawn to. Like this past Sunday, as we're serving in the community, one of the things as a pastor that I've begun to do is I began to just become very perceptive of what's happening. And as members were were serving in the various capacities, they weren't even acknowledging, probably didn't even notice that community people around them were talking and pointing, questions. Why are they out here? Why aren't they doing that? One of the ladies said, y'all seem so joyful. I ain't never seen a church like that. It's not to toot our own horn, but it's to share with you the reality That when we live lives submitted to the Holy Spirit and we live lives that are radically different, meaning that we are literally just living the way God has called us to. And we are standing on our square, boldly proclaiming what it is that God has done. There is something that is attractive to that for people in a world who are searching for it. What's beautiful, brothers and sisters, in essence is that people are longing for the very thing that God created the church to become. You want to know why the early church exploded? They lived lives boldly. People were attracted to them because of the life that they lived. The question that we end today is, what about you? Will you join in on a life empowered by the Spirit that's marked by radical boldness for him? Would you. Would you take the steps of faith that he's calling you to being led by the spirit? Will you when opportunities present themselves, will you boldly declare why you do what you do? And will you live a life that is an open testimony for those around you? Because the beautiful thing is that, like what was happening for them in the midst of the church was not just for them. That's what the text tells us the Holy Spirit was moving in the midst of them, but it was affecting everyone else. That's what's incredible. but will you take up the invitation? God is empowering you. He's giving you an opportunity to say, let the Spirit lead and guide you. Allow him to empower you with the boldness that's necessary to take the steps to live for Him. Will you do that on? today. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing. Lord, we thank you for the reality that you are a good, good Father. Now, Lord, I pray that you would be with all of us as we ponder on the implications of this. Be with us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.